Welcome to another episode of Quantum Coffee, where we discuss the deeper, unanswerable questions of the universe. I'm your host, Joe Hawley. Grab some coffee, open your mind, and enjoy the show. I really think what needs to happen for anything to move forward in a different direction is education. And so when you get a woman who's empowered in her sexuality and she can say to a lover, this is what I like, this is what I don't like, this is how I feel at this certain week, can you accommodate this? Maybe this would be nice. And then she can say to her father or her brothers like, hey, I didn't like that. You know, that didn't feel right for me when you said that. We need to teach women that that's okay. And it starts for me with giving them permission to understand, play, and love their bodies. That was one of my close friends, Hallie Rose. She's an amazing woman with an incredible voice and a heart of gold. Like my first guest, Dr. Mike, Hallie was actually a part of the original Quantum Coffee Trio. I'm so grateful for all the amazing conversations we've had together over the years. And I'm excited I get to share this one with all of you. Hallie is the host of an amazing podcast, which I had the honor of being the first guest on, called The Thought Room Podcast. It was actually the second episode she released, so it was only fitting that I get the opportunity to return the favor. If you enjoy this conversation, make sure you go support her and her podcast. She is also the founder of an incredible business called Lunar Wild, which provides gift boxes to girls starting their menstrual cycle for the first time, celebrating and honoring the journey into womanhood. Hallie is here to do big things, and I'm excited I get to witness and support her on the journey. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Oh, this is exciting to, uh, to have you on as my second guest because my first guest was Dr. Mike and the trio. <laughs> I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah, the trio that is us is the reason I came up with this podcast. We were doing quantum coffee talks for, I don't know, a few months occasionally when we'd meet up and have some really deep conversations. And it really inspired me to, uh, to, yeah, share these conversations with the world. And I've been called to like do a podcast for a while, but I didn't want it to be another, you know, I just wanted to be more conversations about the unanswerable questions of the universe. Like we like to talk (laughs) about. And um, just expose people to other people's belief systems, where those belief systems came from, just kind of uncovering the stories that we tell about ourselves and how we interact with the world and why we're here. And I can't wait for you to listen to to Dr. Mike's episode. It was was awesome, as you can probably imagine. (laughs) I'm sure. Well, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And when I heard you were starting your own podcast, I was like, yes it's about time so thank you so much and it feels fitting because you know you were the very first guest on my podcast you were actually episode two on my podcast because my first was a solo and then you know so it's it's kind of nice yeah there it is i love it it's nice thank you all right so where to begin um i guess i just start exploring kind of like what you think the whole purpose of this life is? I know that's a pretty big question to start, but, but why, are, why are we here, Hallie? Why are we here? 
you know, Joe, like Dr. Mike, I haven't listened to his episode, but I I have an inkling of what he was going to say, maybe, because I know that man has done a lot of searching and a lot of searching, a lot of finding and a lot of coming back to the beginning again. And I think that we we try to spend so much time figuring things out that sometimes we lose the true meaning and we lose the beauty that's right in front of us, which is really this idea that we can't know it all. We'll never know. And there's this great mystery and that can either provide this sense of mm, expansive, expansive openness, openness and space and possibility, or it can be a cause of frustration and fear. And so, you know, coming back to it all, Obviously, I've still had limited experience, um, but what I would say in my lifetime, it's it's all about love. And as cliche as that sounds, I mean, it's it's the truth. I feel like when you go through enough of your journey where you've had, we've talked about this before, you and I, but you've we've we've been blessed with a lot of peak experiences, right? So being in the rooms with the cool people and the hanging out and the and the the wild things those those wow moments where you go oh my gosh I'm so lucky this is surreal how many people would kill for this moment in their lifetime and when you have a certain amount of that and then you also like in my case at least have matched that with the equal amount of suffering and trial and trauma and loss and grief and pain and physical pain and, you know, death, all of it, you sort of come away with this um, appreciation for all of it. And you can zoom out and understand that the magic is in the now. It's in the, are you able to turn that switch on inside of your mind, body, spirit that wakes up into the present moment and says, wow, I am living magic right now. And that magic is expressed through love. That's beautiful. Yeah, it really is all about the experience, right? And living the experience. And it is such a miracle. And you are such an amazing storyteller and I love to talk. I tell a little bit about your story and like kind of the belief systems that you grew up in, maybe your childhood and kind of how that evolved and um, what are some of the, some of the expansive experiences you've had that have helped you connect with these beliefs and this knowing and this experience that you're talking about throughout your life. Yeah, for sure. Um, I was raised in upstate New York and I have two wonderful parents whom are chiropractors. And if you know anything about chiropractors, they're notoriously sort of in the vein of natural holistic medicine. And they're, they're a little bit like alternative. And so I was raised very much in a family that was open, if not um, big proponents of sort of radical ideas that were maybe just, just, just outside the norm. And uh, I was definitely like a, an organic kid. We would get these big uh, co-op deliveries from the organic co-op. And this truck would pull up. And I remember me and, and my three brothers climbing into the back of the truck bed, like barefoot on our 
big property just like hauling cases of our organic food out and just like running around barefoot all day and I would eat raspberries off the bushes you know this is in in the country and in some beautiful farmland nestled near some ski hills in upstate New York so I was a, I was a little bit of a wild child. I remember walking through the woods and just telling stories to myself for hours and hours and hours. I would talk out loud. I would watch the rain. I would lay in the really tall grass and make myself completely hidden. I was building fairy homes and talking to the gnomes and you know that was my life. So I was a very very imaginative kid with two pretty holistically minded parents. And then I was sent to a Waldorf school, which is, uh, you know, Rudolf Steiner, um, the, the great philosopher, um, founder of anthroposophy and, and a myriad of other things. He's a great thinker. Um, if you haven't read any of Rudolf, Rudolf Steiner's lectures, I highly recommend it. And there's a book that I think I recommended to you a while back, which was How to Know Higher Worlds. One of my favorites. I have read it and it was mind blowing. Yeah. Yes. It's mind blowing if you're if you're like ready for it. Do you know what I mean? Because I think I tried yeah. to pick it up a few years before and I was like, I feel like I'm reading a different language. Like I just mm-hmm. wasn't there yet. And so I was frustrated and you know, because Steiner's works can be a little bit dense and very esoteric. So you kind of have to be there like ready and primed for it and pick it up when the time's right. But so I so Rudolf Steiner uh, founded this these schools or his his ideals were the basis for the foundation of Waldorf schools and they they have them all over North America but really all over the world they're quite big in Europe and I was lucky enough to attend a Waldorf school with my brothers and I went there until fourth grade and the education that provided was just so experiential and so rich it is a complete sort of head, heart, and hands approach. You know, you're you're singing every day. You're memorizing poetry every day. You are watercolor painting. You're shaping things with clay. You're learning about sacred geometry. You're learning through story. You're out in nature. You're planting things. Your hands are in the dirt. You know, you nature walks every week. And it, it's just a, it's a very different form of education. So I think that... Knowing what I know now, having done um, my first degree in developmental psychology and then my second degree in elementary education, I learned a great deal about the development of children. And that portion from like zero to seven is super, super critical for the foundation of of really the, the nitty gritty of the fabric of who this child is going to be kind of before the ego starts to consolidate. It's like that's when they're the most permeable to ideas and children learn through story primarily. I mean, Mm. that's why we tell uh, bedtime stories and you can tell a child one thing and they won't listen. But if you tell a child a story, they're like their, their attention is, is rapturous. They're enchanted. So Waldorf really harnesses that and teaches all of the main lessons through story. Mm. And there's kind of this thread that will weave uh, day to day through the seasons of the year. And it's thematic based on honestly, like an overarching um, 
history of humankind. Like I've seen the Waldorf curriculum map, obviously, because spoiler alert, moving ahead in my life, I eventually would become a Waldorf teacher for a brief period of time. But the curriculum map is just brilliant. It, you know, there's this one version, if you Google it, uh, it looks like this tree and you can see all the pieces kind of branching out. And it starts with first grade, you're learning about fairy tales, right? And fairy tales are um, very black and white morality. So it's like there's a bad witch and there's a good princess, right? And in the end, there's always a happy ending. And so we're kind of planting these planting these seeds that the world is a good place, you know, because that's what you want at that stage of development. It's that not that we're, you know, lying to children or something like this, but it's it really is um, the vernacular used in the Waldorf pedagogy is like, oh, we don't we don't want that to be too awakening. I heard that a lot working there. Uh, before I even really knew what awakening was, that's where I first started to learn about, okay, we, we don't want to talk about that too much because it's too awakening. So really, unlike a lot of other forms of education and, and raising children, Waldorf or Steiner schools will try to hold back certain things. Like, mm, I just feel like when I've observed, and again, spoiler alert, later in my life, I became sort of like a uh how will I say this like a nanny for celebrity children so I was working in really like elite homes and things like this and I was you know I would see other elite families at birthday parties and I just had so much fun kind of observing the way that people raise their children and it's so different it's so different it's varied and I think a lot of people have no idea what they're doing to be honest because we're not taught but but what I saw in a lot of parents where they were saying things that were super awakening and they were talking to their children as if they were adults thinking that they were doing that child a favor by just telling it to them straight or you know asking them to push themselves and just do a little bit more but like children are so sensitive. Mm. They're so sensitive. And that's why we, we have so many damaged adults. Mm. It's just because the, the parents just didn't know that that particular thing they said was maybe a little bit manipulative with ever, without them ever realizing it. It's like, oh, I just wanted my child to do well. So I always praise them when they did well. Well, what did you do? You conditioned that child to always have to do well Mm. and that they felt the pressure in your love was attached to that Mm. like that's not necessarily air quotes a bad parent right who wants their kid to do well it's just that we don't know we don't a lot of people don't know psychologically how permeable children are and how exactly what their actions are how they're affecting and conditioning the child later on so i know i've gone on a huge tangent now about child development i mean that's fascinating the right way to parent kids though because I feel like every kid right is born a child is born into this this world connected to their mother and then they they finally start learning separation right we teach separation to these kids these babies at a young age and that's how they interact with the world that's how the ego and the personalities develop and I feel like no matter what if you're super loving and give your kid everything they're going to become entitled and expect things from the world if you're a bad distant kind of a parent, you're going to give them abandonment issues and then they're going to like have trouble interacting with the world. So it's like this journey from being born into the world, learning separation, and then really creating these stories about why the world's a dangerous place and a bad place. And then having to heal those wounds and come back into oneness, right? Like that's the arc of life. So is there really any way to 
for a parent to like love their kids the right way. I mean, it's really just about love, right? Like and supporting them. I mean, yeah, I mean, for sure. And I would I would never say there's a wrong way to parent per se, because I, I fully realize that everybody is just doing the best that they can with the tools they have at the time. And that's across the board, not just with parenting. Mm-hmm. But do I feel like I had a leg up in life in my ability to deal with really deep, intense traumas and everything life threw my way and somehow beyond it all sort of prevail and and develop an, an awareness of myself and my emotions? Yes, I do think that because I think that I was given the tools. And so do I still have issues with my parents? Yes. Who doesn't? That's part of incarnating. That's ca- part of being a soul. That's part of why we select the parents that we've selected. However, I think that you can give children tools for self-regulating, particularly their emotions. If you get them at a young age to start just like talking about how they feel at a, on a very basic level and not just telling them how they feel, you can and like almost like we do in a body scan and meditation, you can get children to create an awareness of their body. Like a child can tell you my chest feels hot and what they're saying is probably like I feel really angry or like my face feels hot or I just want to stomp. You know, like that's a child's way of describing their anger. So if we can encourage them to do that and then help kind of soothe them and coach them through that experience almost like the doulas of their emotions we're going to create more well-adjusted children that's so beautiful i was just talking with someone the other day about you know we're going through this process collectively where there's going to be a lot of systemic change happening and moving forward and i think one of the big things that does need to change is the way we do educate our children and the education system and it's just so outdated. Like, what are some of the things that you would change about like the education system, like collectively and, and what are, like you talked about emotional intelligence and connecting, but like, what's the big thing that needs to change with our education system? Because it does start when these kids are young and being able to have the tools to really interact with the world, not just, you know, compete against each other in standardized testing and like just remembering information. Like we're not really learning any tools at a young age that are just going to be beneficial. And I think a lot of parents now when they have to homeschool their, their children, they're learning like just a lot of this stuff is like, I don't even know this, how to teach my fourth grader this. Like she's obviously not going to need it in the real world if I don't even mm-hmm. you know, know it. So like, how do we move forward with the education mm-hmm. systemically? Well, for one, and I think again, I'm going to speak in broad sweeping statements across the board, but for one, the mood of the current education system feels very masculine to me. It feels like one of drive. It feels like one of power and performance, which is great. Look where it's gotten us. A lot of cool things have happened in the last hundred or so years. However, I think we need to shift into sort of a more feminine, receiving sort of approach to education. Now, that doesn't mean we just let the kids run the show, although that is becoming a more popular like student-led learning is becoming more popular and in my personal opinion I think there are definitely times for that um there's all kinds of new ways of educating children out there like there's one where the kids actually do all of their homework like at school and then like they reverse and they they have like different stuff to do at home that's more like teaching themselves mm. so then they do their work at school and they kind of teach themselves at home there's all kinds of things we can do to flip it on its head 
But the biggest problem I see is we are creating generations of children who know how to punch buttons. They know how to memorize things to forget them, rote learning, and they have short attention spans because of the technology and all of this and many other reasons. And they're just not interested. And you get out into the workforce and what we really need is people with creative ideas. Someone who can look at something and, and suggest something that's never been done before. And guess what? Currently, our children are maybe getting an art class and like a little bit of this and that, but they're not being given the opportunity to run wildly, to build something out of materials, to understand and deeply look at the geometry of a fern and like understand its nature and paint the Fibonacci sequence in a pine cone. I mean, these are just not things that we're, we're putting in the curriculum. So I think earth reverence for me is re- really important. Like if we're going to create a world where we keep our planet um, and we stay alive on it, we need to learn how to sustain it. And if we are just so disconnected from the earth, that's never going to happen. So I think that needs to come back in for sure. And uh, yeah, that, then like meeting children where they're at with with teaching through story and more projects and more opportunity for innovation, I think really that is that is going to be key. Yeah, it's crazy how we are really stifling creativity in children. And even if there is an art class, we're, we're grading children's art, which like, how do you put a grade on art? I mean, it's just really, it's all about what I've learned through my creative journey is it's all about the process of creating. It's not the actual final thing. And so we definitely need to encourage children. If we're going to solve these bigger global issues, we need to think outside the box and think in ways that we haven't thought before. And that comes from creativity. And we need to honor that. And we don't need to cut art classes. We need to create more opportunities for these kids to use their creativity, creatively think and think outside the box moving forward. Yeah. You mentioned um, the masculine and feminine energy. And I just, I really connect with that. I I know, um, you know, I I was in a hyper-masculine sport of football in the locker room. And, you know, I've I've gone on this journey of self-healing afterwards and doing a lot of yoga and meditation and these practices that have really helped connect with this feminine energy within myself and having a new idea of like the masculine and feminine and and what those energies actually are and how we both, we we all have those energies within us and collectively and how we're in this, this kind of time in human history where we need to bring balance back to the collective. And by doing to be able to do that, we have to bring balance back within ourselves. And so just to speak a little bit about your thoughts on that and and how we can accomplish that. And, um, you know, moving forward, maybe some tools that you've used um, in different modalities. And, and do you mean specifically for, you know, bringing masculine and feminine energies back into balance? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's tricky. Um, I would say the first thing when I started going down this whole rabbit hole of masculine, feminine, and and this eventually waterfalled into what became my business, which is Lunar Wild. And it's, it's my gift, my attempt at bringing the masculine and feminine energies of the planet back into balance. And I'm doing that through offering a sacred rite of passage gift to young women when they first start menstruating because that event in particular is one that is so 
uh, shameful to most women still in our modern society. It's been denigrated. And a lot of the indigenous cultures actually celebrate this ritual. And we don't have anything like that in, in sort of Western culture. And so I see that, um, again, going back to the psychology of an event like that, something that is like, you, you gotta, you gotta put yourself in a, a girl's shoes. Okay. So like, go back to okay. you, <laughs> go back to you at, you know, 10 years old and yeah. you start bleeding out of your body part and no, maybe no one's told you about it <laughs> or maybe somebody has, but like, you were like, this is not what I expected. And then you're kind of like, how long? I start freaking the fuck out. Yeah. And you're like, how, wait, how long is this going to happen? And they're like, um, for the rest of your adult life. Oh, man. And you're just like, you're like, that's heavy, right? Yeah. Like that's sobering and that's really grounding. And you see it. I saw it. I saw it as a teacher. I would see the girls and the boys playing, running together the girls keeping up with the boys, all this, and then something happens and they start to shift into puberty and it's like the confidence drops mm. because it is. It's like you're here now. You're in your body. You're not in the dream world anymore. This blood is like bringing you down. Wow. And um, so you... About, like, that is very... Like at that young an age, you're like, boom, in it, in reality. Totally. Totally. And that's why people, some people will say like, oh, women are, you know, there's that old thing. It's like, oh, well, girls are more mature than boys. Well, you know, they've had to like fucking sober up real quick, yeah. you know, like they in have to moment. learn how to manage things yeah. in a moment. And then all of a sudden you get all these crazy like hormones. And at that age, you definitely don't know. I mean, I'm almost 30 and I'm still now regulating and like tracking and understanding the four different weeks of my cycle and how the, my energy shifts. Like right now I'm in my enchantress sort of phase. So I'm really fiery. I have no time for bullshit. I'm like maybe a little bit sharp, you know? I can feel that. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming across. <laughs> also, this is like the week where I get like really cuddly Ooh. too. I, and I'm, I'm like I'll, at the end of the week, I'll kind of get like a little bit needy because it'll be like right before I go into my period. So <sighs> it's funny. And I'm only just now being like, oh, this this happens every single time like this. This is recurring. This is not just like, yeah. oh, yeah, I had a bad day that day of the month and I had a really depressed day. This it's like trackable. So it's really interesting. Yeah. How is that? How is that awareness of your own flow and your own cycle and your own energy and your own mood and connecting with your body throughout this process really affected your life now that you do have an awareness of it? Everything. I mean, everything. For for mm. one, it's like, you know, I've been doing these podcast interviews during this time in quarantine. I'm not really recording so many of my own right now because I had so much back material recorded that I'm just releasing. But I've been doing about one guest interview a week and um, I just got asked to do a few more and I looked at my schedule and I was like, oh, that's the week I'm on my period, not scheduling any podcasts. Like, going to take that time to rest and I'm going to schedule a bunch of them the week after because that's when I'm in my maiden phase and that's when I'm the most creative and have the most energy and I'm really sharp. So that is huge. I can kind of plan my work schedule and my creativity around that because I'm getting to know the swing of it. So this really helps when you're like a freelancer, or podcaster, writer. You can kind of plan for these little pockets. And then on top of that, gaining an awareness of my body has and this is where I was going with the company is like 
my dream is to help young women have build create an awareness and agency around their bodies at a young age so that as they age into adulthood they have the skill set to then communicate with people around them particularly the men in their lives about how they are feeling because we have a culture right now where women feel that things need to change and unfortunately there's so much anger around it understandably that happens in history when certain populations feel suppressed um they kind of have this anger reaction but i really think what needs to happen for anything to move forward in a different direction is education and so when you get a woman who's empowered in her sexuality and she can say to a lover this is what i like this is what i don't like this is how i feel at this certain week can you accommodate this? Maybe this would be nice. And then she can say to her father or her brothers like, hey, I didn't like that. You know, that didn't feel right for me when you said that. Mm. We need to teach women that that's okay. And it starts for me with giving them permission to understand, play, and love their bodies. So, yeah. That's beautiful. I'm really excited about the work you're doing with Lunar Wild. And I'm I'm really excited to to see it kind of the idea manifest and continue to grow. And I'm really excited for you. Thank you. And as a man, like I'm learning a lot about this as well. And, you know, I think that's this old idea this, this need as a, as a man to fix things and fix women. And when, when, when something's wrong or they feel emotional, it's like this natural need, like I want to fix it. Like what's wrong? Tell me what's wrong. How can I help? And learning about, you know, and, and this idea that, that the feminine, the divine feminine energy is like, is like nature and it, it flows and sometimes storms come through and sometimes it's a beautiful sunny day and, and really learning to honor a woman where they're at and meet them where they're at, in my experience, has really changed all my relationships and made them a lot more strong. And it's, it's given me a lot more peace and calm to hold space for women when they're going through this. And I think there's nothing more attractive than a woman that is really connected with that and able to feel into their bodies and understand that, you know, I might be feeling emotional right now. I don't know why there's something coming up and just being okay with that, holding space and not, not turning it into the cycle of trying to fix it or trying to, you know, figure something out, but really just holding space for your woman and allowing her to be where she's at um, is, is so amazing. And that comes back to balancing the, the feminine within ourselves beautiful. I'm really excited for you. Thank you. Yeah, I I totally wholeheartedly agree with what you're saying. And I'm thinking back to earlier times in my life when I didn't have this skill set. So like I wasn't able to communicate with the men around me. This is how I'm feeling. And even if I had been able to, I probably didn't feel deserving of it. And it wasn't on a conscious level, but it, it's some, it's so subtle. It's just like being asleep to yourself. And so when you get relationship dynamics that are a lot of games being played, that's what's happening is like one person has an emotion that they don't know how to express or deal with and they have a charge around it. Like they're worried that if they express it, the other person's not going to receive it. Or, you know, like if I say this, this, for example, um, I might feel that, I have a lot going on. I'm feeling very stressed and I'm feeling like a failure on top of that because I should be able to hold it together, right? Because our masculine society tells women that they have to be a straight line because men are 
men have cycles too, but you know, they're more, they're more stable in that regard. So if I'm trying to make my measuring stick up against yours, as far as, you know, um, emotional being like more emotionally flatlined, it's unrealistic for me. And yet I'm trying because I can't just be, I can't go into the office and let, let my emotions get the best of me because then the the men will have the competitive edge and they'll think they'll say I'm PMSing and they'll make fun of me and they'll say I'm just a woman and like this is like viscerally what happens right and it's it's um so it's really difficult so women will suppress or pretend and there's nothing sexier to me than a man that's just like your storm, like I got it here. Here's like, here's my blender and you just like whirl around inside of it as much as you want. And like when you're done, like sweet, we have like this smoothie. (laughs) Like that's my metaphor. It's like delicious. Yes. But like, let's enjoy it together rather than like, it's not okay for you to be that. You need to go check yourself. Like you need to go whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, That's on you. So and, and it's hard because like you said, men do want to fix things and it's coming out of a well-intentioned place. And to add on top of that, if we could teach women that they they are allowed to say something like, I'm having these feelings right now and I don't need you to do anything. I just wanted to let you know because I was feeling guilt about mm. it. Like I was feeling guilty that I was a little cranky today and I realized I could just tell you, I don't need you to do anything. If I do, I'll let you know, you know, that sort of a thing. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Like all this comes back to, to an awareness, right. And in, in improving our awareness and learning to listen to our bodies. What are some like practical tools that you have used to kind of bring awareness back into your body, into your cycle and your flow and your energy levels? And connecting with those parts of you um, on a deeper level. Well, um, I've read a lot of books. I like books. And so I've read mm-hmm. books, sacred womb books, books on tantra, um, breathing exercises. You know, Sarah, Sarah, our, our, our friend Sarah was on my podcast and we talked about this book called Urban Tantra and um, how pivotal that book was kind of in my own journey. And I think when I started reading that book, I was actually single. So it was like, people were like, what? Tantra, aren't you like single? And I was like, yeah, that's the point. Like, I think that's the time to explore it is when you are single. And this book, Urban Tantra, has like the whole first half of the book is called like Tantra for One or Solo Solo Tantra. And it gets, it's like, maybe five to eight breathing patterns. You fill out some quizzes. You learn about what your primary um, like sexual sensory pleasure is. And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that I was like a really auditory person, like for example. So it was really interesting because mm. I always thought like I was visual and I just kind of took it for granted. But when I did this quiz, it's kind of like uh, – gives you a list of things so it would say see how quickly you can recall and then it would have like the sound of a bell ringing a dog barking your favorite music or whatever and then it does that it repeats that for each sense so it would so it would be like how quickly can you conjure up the smell of a rose a fresh baked cookie uh you know whatever and it so it does that for sight smell taste sound and touch 
and you kind of rank which which was the easiest and for me finding out that sound was primary for me was like oh that's why the music is so important in the background like if there's bad music kills the mood dude i re- i remember this one time story time <laughs> it's burned into my memory and i hope this beautiful young man never listens to your podcast but uh (laughs) i let um i let this lover back in um college choose the song like choose the music and i had played a couple songs and we were just like kind of you know getting ready to fool around or whatever and i remember he put on that song down on me by jeremiah and it's like this like (laughs) really like just like this trash rap song and never again it was like all that I could experience in that sexual encounter with him was like that song and like I wasn't even feeling into my body because I was so distracted by the terrible music and being and like the thought in my head was like I can't believe I'm like sleeping with someone who chose this as like their first making love song like this. Oh yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to put on. So it was like, Mm. anyway, so I learned that and then I learned like, oh, that's why I really love it when, when somebody slows their voice down and is talking to me during lovemaking, that is huge. And all of, all of those kind of questions and those little droplets of thoughts that were percolating, Mm came from just reading that stuff and experimenting and giving myself the mental permission to go there. So, so I think that's huge. I think whomever you are, whether you're single or you're in a relationship, exploring what you like and then exploring how to talk about what you like. So books like nonviolent communication, most people think they're great communicators. Like most people think they're Think about that. Like most people are like, yeah, yeah. Like I communicate well. I can almost guarantee you. You don't. (laughs) You, you are like, you are like, I don't know, mediocre at best. And there are definitely some things you can improve. And I was talking, I went for a, a hike in the woods with my dad the other day. And I was telling him about all these things and kind of things that were going on in my life and you know, I recently went through a breakup and then I just have all these other complicated friend dynamics. And my dad just turns to me and he was just like, Hallie, you make it really hard for men. And I was was like, why dad? And he's like, you just call them out on their shit and you put it like right in front of their face. I'm like, I I can't help it. Like it's, I just see it so clearly. And like the, the most subtle thing, Joe, like, um, let me think of an example. If it's like, oh, we're supposed to meet up. We're supposed to have a call or something. And and I ask, oh, yeah, say say you and I are on the phone. And, and theoretically, we like each other. We're hanging out or whatever. And it's getting kind of late. And I say to you, do you want to, um, how are you feeling right now? Do you want to stay on the phone? And you say something like, um, it, I, I mean, either way is fine. Like, how are you feeling? You know, like, yeah. 
that is actually not clear communication. Yeah. Like someone would be like, oh, that's like just being thoughtful. No, you've been asked a direct question mm. about how you're feeling and you're uncomfortable answering it. So you divert it to the other person to have to make the decision instead of just being like, you know what? I'm tired. Or you know what? I am really enjoying this conversation. I Are you? Like I'm, I'm insecure that you're going to want to get off when yeah. I want to stay on. That's the real reason you won't say the truth of how you're feeling. So... Just mm. to be aware of those things. Yeah, I've really struggled with that. I've really struggled with that personally. Like, because I always feel like I'm so easygoing. Like, I will really, like, whatever you want, whatever you want, I'm okay. But really, that's not being honest with myself of what I want. And then I feel like in my relationships, as I've grown with that communication, when I do speak what I want, it creates safety around the other person expressing what they want and then being able to communicate through that and then coming up with a, you know, something that works for both rather than trying to put it on the other person. Cause you can feel that energetically. If I'm like, um, I don't like whatever you want. And then it's like, okay, now you're, now I don't feel safe telling you what I want because I'm not sure what's going on. And then it creates this like even subconscious or unconscious like cycle. Completely. Totally. Totally. I mean, I could flip this question back on you. Like what, what have, what have you learned from the masculine perspective and how have you implemented that? What are some things that people listening could directly do if they want to become a better communicator or a better lover? Yeah. I was thinking about that while you were talking and you know how we don't, especially in our society and culture, we don't have this like rite of passage or ceremony or you know, ritual from boyhood into manhood. And nobody really teaches us how to connect with women in a way. And a lot of us sadly learn through pornography and we objectify women. And so when we show up for these sexual experiences, we like the only real experience we have is from what we see on these porn sites. And it really creates this disconnect. And through a lot of the healing I've done, um, one of the hardest things, like I used to watch porn all the time and masturbate. And I'm sure a lot of guys out there do. And it was one of the hardest habits I had to get under control because, and there was so much shame around it too. And, you know, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with anything if you have balance and you can control it. But my, my habit would, for me personally, pornography was like, I would do it, I would release, and I would feel so much shame and create this cycle. And then when it would come to my relationships, it was just such a, sex was such a physical experience because that's what I thought it was. It was like, okay, I see this, this woman, she's hot. How can I get off by interacting with her? And it wasn't ever about this energy dynamic or this energy connection. And honestly, since I've stopped watching porn and I've stopped, you know, masturbating like habitually, I've been able to connect and, and kind of hold that energy in with that sexual energy within myself, which what I'm learning is very, it's a creative energy. It's a creative life force that we can use to manifest things into reality and help us create things like, you know, business or I'm writing my book currently. And so being able to hold that energy in and then connect with women on an energetic level and kind of feel where they're at. And like, as I've improved my awareness through tools, like, you know, like uh, yoga and meditation and being able to drop into my body and feel my own energy and then holding space around women and connecting with what they feel in the energy. And that's really what Tantra is, right? Is this, this energy dynamic and energy flow. Um, I've been able to really listen to my partner, what they're looking for. And it's, it's really not about this end climax release orgasm. It's about how can we have this energy exchange in a beautiful way and 
it's really open up. Like I'm just like, I've done a lot of healing over the last year and it's just <laughs> starting to open up and it's really, really a beautiful thing. And I think we, it's really comes down to, like you said, education and connecting with our, ourselves and dropping into our bodies and increasing awareness and how we feel in our bodies. And really, you know, I think like getting pornography and, and watching porn and trying to mm-hmm. connect with your woman and not objectify them is really, you know, part of the, the, the goal of, of trying to bring balance back into masculine and feminine and allowing guys to really connect to that energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I feel like mm, good connected energetic sex is like one of the most psychedelic experiences you can have. I mean, it is just, it is like nothing else. It is, you want to merge with oneness. Yeah. That's what you that's what you do in my mind. Um, but something you said was really fascinating to me because it re- reminded me of this paper, this paper I wrote in college, which was actually one of my final term papers. And it was about something Walt Whitman said about the poet's seed. And like, actually, he talked a lot about what you just said, like the uh, man's semen being like his creative juices. And I don't know why, but I became super fascinated with this. And I researched all these different writers, males, who really felt that, really felt like the creativity, a man's vitality was in his seed. And if you look at some of the the like Vedic traditions too, they believe that too. Spiritually speaking, it is considered... Um, I don't know, just just un, I guess unenlightened for lack of a better term to be spilling your seed wherever. It's like it's seen as the most precious life gift, life-giving gift and creative life force energy of a man. And so to just like be jacking off and like putting it on a tissue or like flushing it away is just like what? So I mean for a lot of guys it's like the idea of like semen retention maybe seems painful, stupid. And like, why would I want to do that? But the men that I've talked to or the partners that I've had that have practiced that have told me how much one more pleasurable and intense it makes sex when you, when you finally do release. And two, what you just said, it's like, it gives you this kind of ferocious life energy where you're just you're almost like hungry like you wake up hungry every day and it's that just like I don't know just that fire of sexuality through your body that actually drives you through your day and through your creative projects yeah and what I've learned is since doing this work and connecting and holding that energy within myself and holding myself contained when I walk into a room I can tell that women are just like attracted to that and like you can tell like if i, I, I can tell if another man is really like connected with that too because he walks in and he just has a presence about him and it's so funny because you know i went through um a breakup where i was engaged and and you know it was a few years ago and a lot, like a lot of my friends now are like all getting married and i'm like the single guy and um you know we'd go out together and they'd all be with their their couples together and like what about what about that girl you like that girl or like what about that girl? and they're like trying to like hook me up and i'm just like it's like oh yeah she's hot and i'm just like it's not it's not about that it's like is there an energetic connection mm-hmm. and like i've learned that if i walk into a bar or a restaurant or a place to like a social gathering like i don't need to go pick up these girls like if i really hold myself and hold the space women women can feel that and they will literally it's 
kind of wild. They're like drawn to it. And it's, it's a beautiful realization. It just, it's fascinating. Let's go shift gears. Let's talk about, since we're coming close to uh, the end, I want to know kind of what the, what the dream is for you. Like what moving forward, like what do you want to bring into this world and, and how do you want to impact it? And what's the difference mm. you want to make? Well, for one, I'm getting ready to relaunch Lunar Wild this year and we're going to go really big with it. So you're going to start seeing that everywhere. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm, so I'm really <laughs> explosively excited about that and really becoming this brand that celebrates every phase of a woman's life. So, you know, even the other phases that society maybe doesn't think are worth celebrating, like when a woman goes into menopause, you know, in, in again, in indigenous cultures, this is something where she moves into the crone phase, which is the medicine woman, the wise woman phase, and she's a revered member of society. What do we do in Western culture? We cast women out. Oh, they're having hot flashes. They're being crazy. Okay, they can't have kids anymore. They're not sexy. They're not a sex symbol. Cast them out. So really part of, yeah, part of the, the future vision of Lunar Wild is to really celebrate every woman at every phase of, of her life. Um, on top of that, you know, I'm, I have a podcast. It's called The Thought Room. You've been on it. I've had a lot of amazing other guests, um, Dorian Yates, Dennis McKenna. I love storytelling. I love talking to these super fascinating people that are thought leaders in, in all of their respective areas of uh, their vocations. And I think that what I'm trying to do with The Thought Room is really connect with people's heart spaces to bring these new ideas in a way that lands and that that's practically applicable in their lives that's fun that's playful that's you know delicious and sounds nice to listen to because there's so much information out there and uh, I really want to do something that's that's different and so I'm really enjoying traveling around well when things start back up and doing the thought room and then on top of that a few weeks ago, I started writing my book as well. Ooh, tell um, me about it. Yeah. So I have been keeping diaries since the year 1997. So I was seven years old and I have a suitcase full wow. of diaries. And just to give you an example. I thought you were going to burn those. I thought you were going to burn those diaries. Uh, I'll burn them when I'm done, happen? I guess. But um, just to go. give you an example is like, People who are listening won't be able to see this, but I'm holding up a journal right now. So this is the one that I've started transcribing. And I'm about halfway through it, maybe a little more. And I've transcribed 30,000 words. Wow. I have about 40 more of these. 30,000 words from just so, that notebook? Or... Yeah, man. Wow. Yeah. Tell me about that process. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm writing right now too. And it's been such an amazing healing process to like go back through mm. these stories and then like read through them and how to like express them. And some story that I didn't, didn't even remember until like I started like diving deeper 
And I can't imagine going through an actual journal and like basically getting to know yourself at that age. Like, what has that process been? It's like? wild, man. Like it's, <laughs> I'll tell you, it's really wild. And this is not the first time I've done this because, you know, the idea for Lunar Wild came from a journal because I read my 14 year old self talking about my first period. So that was the inspiration for starting the company several years ago. Wow, and beautiful. now reading back through my journals after all the healing that I've done and kind of plant medicine and all these spiritual journeys I've been on. Um, it is so fascinating to look through my new lens back at the old stories. And for one, I'm also a dream journaler. So I'll see these symbols come up repeatedly in my dreams. I'm reading about uh, recurring dreams that I had. And I'm also reading about like certain dynamics. Like if there was a person in my life uh, two years ago, it's like, where are they now? And are there still the same patterns or how was I talking to my lover's exes then? How was I letting them treat me? That's probably been the most fascinating part is the evolution of my boundaries, my sexuality, and my communication, really. Wow. Yeah. And, and then on top of that, I've left myself notes, like really clear directions and breadcrumbs, almost like a map to having a successful life because I have danced time and time again with the dragons of darkness and depression and anxiety. And I usually hit rock bottom and then something happens and I start to put certain things into place. And this has happened, you know, a, a lot. I'm not even going to lie. It's, it's probably, I've probably had like, I'd say like five major depressions and then like little blips kind of, you know, once a year. And I always seem to be doing the same sorts of things, but then I forget. So now going back and reading through, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm doing it again. I start meditating again and that's a thing that helps. And then I anchor to one, um, like I'll choose a task. So it doesn't matter what it is. It could be exercising. It could be you're going to make a smoothie in the morning. It could could be you're just going to stretch for five minutes before bed. doesn't matter what the task is, but you pick one thing and you fucking do it every day. You anchor to it. And even if you're like, oh, I'm going to meditate for 20 minutes every day. And then you, you get to the end of your day, you haven't meditated. And you're like, I can't do 20 minutes. Do five. And it's more important that you do the activity so that in your mind you can check it off and you feel that sense of momentum rather than that you do it the best you ever did. Do you know what I'm saying? So just like these little tidbits that I wrote myself that helped me climb out from underneath the boulder every single time, that's what I want to share with the world so that people can live more fulfilled, enriched, and awakened lives. How mm. I am so excited <laughs> to read it when it comes out. And I'm so excited that we've, you know, been on this journey together and have connected and you're such a beautiful soul. You have an amazing voice. It's a healing voice. I know it. And I know the podcast is going to continue to grow. Um, definitely going to have my listeners go check it out. I'm definitely excited about being on it again. Um, we've grown so mm -hmm. much since that first episode, like a year ago. I know. It's so crazy, <laughs> it's crazy how fast life is moving. Um, excited for Lunar Wild, excited for your book, excited for your podcast. And um, I appreciate you so much for coming on. Uh, you're so amazing and beautiful. And 
you know, so excited about the future that we, uh, we get to go on this journey together and support each other. I love you, Joe. It's, it's so amazing to have these, you know, I always say you're a life ally to me and I feel like we've been walking these sort of parallel paths. Like you're, you're my brother, you know, and it's like, we're writing books at the same time. We're awakening to certain things at the same time. And it's just, it's just really nice to have you in my life. And I want to tell you that. Likewise. I love you so much. Thanks for listening to another episode of Quantum Coffee. I hope you enjoyed. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Reach out to me on Instagram at joe.holly or email me at joe.holly.newsletter at gmail.com. That'll all be listed in the show notes. If you have anyone that you'd like to hear on my podcast, reach out, send them my way. Also, if you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. Thanks again for all the continued support. So much love and gratitude. Peace.